Well, all right, this past week, uh, I decided to take some time, get on Facebook on New Year's Day, and uh, just to read some resolutions that some of my friends made, even some of you guys in the room made. And there were a ton posted out there, but some of the most common ones that I saw repeatedly on Facebook were some like these. A lot of people said they wanted to eat better this year. A lot of people said uh, they wanted to exercise this year more than this last year. Uh, there were a lot of people that said read more, watch less TV. Uh, people said spend more time with friends and family. And then a good buddy of mine said something I loved. He said he wanted this year to practice being present in every moment. I thought that was really good. Now, all of these resolutions that I read, um, they had one big thing in common. And here was the one big thing that they all had in common. They all had something to do with making life better. Right? Like I didn't read anybody posting on Facebook, uh, this year I want to be fatter than any other year of my life. Right? I want to eat worse than ever before. I want to be lazy and less productive in 2013 than I've ever been. Nobody said those things. And why? Because resolutions are all about improving life, improving the quality of life, making life better. Now, here's the big question I want to ask you guys. As you think about this morning, that area or those areas of your life um, that you look at and you just go, man, i got to do something about this. Something's got to change. Something's got to improve. Something's got to be different. Here's what I want to ask you about that area or those areas. What has the ability to stop you from accomplishing what you want to accomplish in that area or those areas of your life? Like what threatens your ability to pull off what you want to pull off when it comes to making your life better this year in 2013? So um, we could say like for those of you guys that you resolved in 2012 that you were going to see your abs for the first time since high school. And it's 2013 now. And you know they're under there somewhere but there's still not an ab in sight. Like what stopped you from accomplishing that this past year? And looking forward, what has the ability to threaten you pulling that? the same thing off as well? Now, I want to offer an answer that I think is probably applicable to pretty much every one of us in the room, no matter what area of life we might be thinking of right now, okay? Here's an answer to that question. What threatens us? What could stop us? Complexity. Complexity. Like, I don't think anybody wants to stand on the stage and argue this morning that our lives, every single one of us, aren't hard, aren't complex, aren't complicated, messy, busy, frustrating, and tiring at times. Like, there's some of you in the room that you know exactly what I'm talking about because your family is the poster family for complex, complicated, frustrating, busy, and tiring. Like, I know there's some of you in the room, you're married. And uh, you wake up at the crack of dawn to get kids ready for school. Both spouses go off to work. And then you guys come home. You put kids in different cars. You take off because one got sports practice. The other one's got soccer. You grab a bite to eat on the way there. And then you finally get everybody back home. Everybody gets cleaned up. They've got to do homework. You get everybody in the bed. And it's 10 o'clock at night before you feel like you can finally breathe. And the last thing on your mind is... That thing I resolved to do to make my life better this year, right? Like, you know, you know you wanted to eat better this year, um, but it's really hard to eat better when three or four weeks out of, or three or four nights out of your week, like your choice of dinner involves a dollar menu and a drive through window, right? Um, it's really hard. You know you wanted to work out, but it's hard to work out at 10 at night after the day you've had, and you got to get up at six o'clock the next morning to start this whole cycle over again. You know you wanted to read more books this year. 
But man, isn't it so much easier after the day you've had to come home, throw on some Duck Dynasty, and turn your brain off? Way easier to do that. And listen, I know if you're a student, like high school, middle school, if you're college age, single, if you're married with no kids, listen, I know that you have unique complexities that are applicable to your life, but the truth is the same. It doesn't matter who we are. One huge thing that threatens our ability to make our lives better is the complexity of our lives. But listen, let me take it a step further, okay? Um, Because I want us to understand this morning and realize that every single one of us in the room, we have an ability to make our complex, complicated life even more complex and complicated by the simple decisions that we make on a daily basis. Like, you get that, right? Like, you get that you and I have an ability to make certain decisions on a daily basis that complicate and make harder our lives, which are already complicated and already hard. I I love the way the actor John Wayne said it. He said this. He says, life is hard. We'd all agree with that. And then he says, life is harder when you're stupid, right? Life is hard, but it's harder when you're stupid. This series, Simplexity, we made this word up to hopefully um, uh, describe what we want to accomplish over these next four weeks, but the goal is really simple. We want to give you simple biblical wisdom that will help to prevent you from making those unwise, not-so-smart decisions in life that lead to your complex, complicated life becoming harder. Like, man, I'm not promising that as a result of this series you're going to walk away and all your issues are going to be gone and relationship stuff fixed and you're not going to be going in a bunch of different directions three or four nights out of the week. I'm not promising that. Um, What I am promising is this, though. If you'll take the wisdom that we're going to give you over the next four weeks and actually apply it to your life, I believe you'll start to think about life differently, more intentionally, and you'll spare yourself the consequences that come as a result of unwise decision making. And so with all that being said, I want you to grab your Bibles if you have them or if you have a phone or an iPad with an app on it. Let's go to Proverbs chapter three together. Proverbs chapter three. If you don't have a Bible with you, we're going to throw everything up on the screen that we're going to talk about and read today. Okay. Um, While you're getting to Proverbs three, let me just mention a couple of things about this book. Okay. The book of Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon. If you've been around Westridge for the past several months, Uh, We talked about Solomon back in August when we did our Chasing the Wind series. Solomon was the king over Israel for a time. And uh, according to history and according to the Bible, he was one of the richest and wisest men that has ever lived on the face of the planet. So if you're here this morning and maybe you're new to this whole church thing and you're going, why do I care what this guy who wrote this in the Bible has to say? Because he's one of the wisest men that ever lived. And so I would say, I think it's worth us giving him a little bit of our time so that he can help us to kind of figure this thing out a little bit when it comes to life and decision making. But I also want you to know this. Um, when he wrote the book of Proverbs, he did so with a few foundational beliefs in mind. Okay, um, First, he wrote this book with the belief in mind that there is one God who created everything, including you and including me. Secondly, he wrote this book based on the belief that God not only created everything, but he designed everything very intentionally, with a specific design and order in mind. And he also wrote this book, thirdly, based on the belief that when you and I, as people, will obey and follow and walk in God's created order and design, 
that that's when life goes best for us. So with all that in mind, I want us to read this proverb that we're focusing in on today. Proverbs 3, or Proverb 3, I'm sorry, verses 5 and 6. Here's what Solomon has to say. He says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, speaking of God, and he will make your paths straight. So in this scripture, don't miss this. Solomon says that God, the God who created us, the God who um, designed us along with everything else in creation, has the ability to set our lives on this straight path that leads, don't miss this, to what's best for us. Like he has the ability to set us on a path, our lives, in which that path ultimately leads to our good. Now, let me clear the air because I don't want anybody to be confused and I don't want anybody leaving Westridge today going, that James guy, he's a prosperity guy in Cartersville because I'm not. I think that that teaching's garbage. So what I'm not saying is this, is that God is going to direct your life or promises to put your life on a path that leads to things like lots of money, big houses, expensive cars, consistent good health. I'm not saying that he puts you on a path that leads to easy. I'm saying he puts you on a path that leads to best, that leads to what's good for you, okay? So don't miss that. What did we already say? Life is hard. It's hard, okay? And just because you're his doesn't mean life isn't going to be hard at times. But again, he's pointing to this. God has the ability to set our lives on a path that lead to things like true joy, true satisfaction, purpose, meaning, hope for our futures. As one author I read this past week put it, he said that God has the ability to put our lives on a path and and to put our lives on a course that makes us feel like we're not just making a living, but that we're actually making a life. And church, isn't that what we all want? Like, who wants to wake up every day and feel like you're just getting by? Like you're just surviving? Who wants that? Nobody wants that. Like, you want to wake up every day and you want to know that your life matters. You want to know that it matters that you're here on the earth and that your life can count and make a difference. And Solomon says, God, the God who created you, he has the ability to put your life on that path. But here's what I want you to know, and we're going to pay attention to the scriptures to teach this. None of us end up on that course or that path by accident, okay? Like, you're not going to just wake up one morning and go, well, I'm on the path now, right? I feel so hopeful. I feel like my life has purpose. It doesn't happen by accident. It doesn't happen by coincidence. If you want God to direct your life down that path that leads to joy, satisfaction, purpose, meaning, fulfillment, hope, it requires something of you, and it requires something of me. Two things. Trust and obedience. Trust and obedience. These are the two things that Solomon points to in these verses. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write down that first statement, trust God, because we're going to talk about what each of those things mean and how we pull them off. What does it look like to trust God? What does it mean to obey God? So first, trust. Uh, This past week, my wife and I were getting ready for bed, and we were just laying down. And I decided to ask my wife, Amber, um, what do you think it means to trust someone? And she sat there for a minute and she answered and she gave what I thought was just a phenomenal answer. She said, I think to trust someone means that you feel confident in them and safe with them. 
thing to trust someone means you feel confident in them and safe with them. Great answer, right? That's why I'm stealing it and using it. And you can steal and use it too. Just give credit to my wife, okay? Um, tweet it, put it on Facebook, good stuff. But then I started thinking, okay, if that's true, if trusting someone means that you feel confident in them and safe with them, how do you get to that place with another person in which that happens? Like, how do you arrive at trust? And then I started thinking, well, I think the answer is really easy. I think it takes you and I spending the necessary time that it takes to truly get to know someone so that we can really decide whether or not that's a person who is trustworthy, right? I mean, think about what happens when you get to know somebody, when you spend time with them. You get to figure out if that person is selfish or selfless. Um, you get to understand if that person is kind or rude, if they're conceited, arrogant, or if they're actually humble, if they care more about themselves than they do anyone else in their lives. You get to figure out what makes them happy, what makes them sad, what makes them angry, what fuels them, what drives them, what drains them. And I think when you spend time to get to know somebody and you can kind of answer those questions about another person, you can decide whether or not they are deserving of your trust. Would you agree with that? Okay. But listen to me, the same is true when it comes to God. Like if you're ever going to trust God, as Solomon puts it, with your whole heart, with all areas of your life, with your relationships, with your money, with whatever's going on at home, with whatever's going on at your job. Like if you're going to be able to trust God with your whole heart, you have to spend the necessary time that it takes to get to know him. You got to know what he's like. You got to know how he feels about you. You got to know what his character's like. You need to know what makes him happy and what makes him angry, what drains him, what fuels him, what drives him. You got to know all this stuff about God so that ultimately you can come to a place where you can answer the question Does God deserve my trust? For those of us that grew up around the church world, and I'm not saying this is everybody, I'm only saying this is maybe some of us. Um, for some of us that maybe grew up around the church world, this might take you shrugging off some old religion and actually picking this book up and reading it for yourself for the first time maybe in your entire life, right? Um, for some of us, it might take us finally taking that step. I was talking about earlier, jump into a group, get on a serving team, put yourself around other people who are committed to knowing God more each day so that they can help you to know God more each day. This might take some of us in the room um, who are new here. Maybe we're new to the church. Maybe we're new to God, new to this whole Bible thing. It again, it might take you just making a commitment to keep showing up. Like if this is your first time in church in a long time or first time ever, I just want you to know how glad we are that you're here. And I want you to know that this church is committed to you and that what we want for you is for you to keep showing up so that you can keep learning more about God, that you can keep understanding who he is, what he's like, and what he wants to do in your life. And I'll say this too, um, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't have one of these, Go to our help center before you leave today, and we got a free Bible there that we want to give you so that you can make it a habit of just picking this thing up and reading it, okay? And uh, I would say to start with Jesus. Jesus is God in the flesh. He shows us what's true about God, so start with Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, so that you can figure out if God is trustworthy or not. And here's what I want to challenge us all to. I want to challenge every one of us in the room today, no matter if you've been in church all your life or you're brand new to this thing. I want to challenge you to set out to know God in such a way that you can definitively answer two big questions, okay? I'll throw these up on the screen for you. One, I want you to set out to know God in such a way that you can answer this. Does God want the best for me? Does God want the best for me? 
And the next question I want you to be able to answer for yourself is this. Is God smarter than me? Okay? So again, as you seek to know God, I want you to write these things down, put them somewhere, and I want you to come up with answers to these questions. Let me tell you why these questions are so important. And I'll go back to this first one. Um, If you're a person here today that you're not sure whether or not God wants the best for you, listen, it's going to be really, really hard for you to ever trust God in any area of your life. Like if you wake up and you go, I don't really know if God wants the best for me in my marriage, if he wants the best for me when it comes to money, if he wants the best for me when it comes to stuff going on at home, it's going to be really hard for you to trust God with those things. If you're that person, but you see this question, is God smarter than me? And uh, your thought of God and his ways and maybe even the Bible is, man, that's old, that's outdated. Like, man, if I could talk to God and get him into 2013 and tell him about life now, I could help him out and catch him up, and he'd be so much smarter if he just listened to me. Like, if that's you, then again, listen, you're going to have a really, really hard time ever trusting God with any area of your life. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to default to doing what Solomon tells us in this passage that we just read, the exact thing we shouldn't do, which is what? Lean on our own understanding. He says, trusting God, don't do that. But when you don't trust God, that's what you do. Like, you live each day believing again that you know what's best for you, that you're smarter than anybody else in your life, and you make decisions based on nothing more than how you feel. That's dangerous, right? Because feelings change, and we'll talk about that next week, so be here. But you live your life each day acting in ways and making decisions that ultimately imply, I don't believe God wants the best for me, and I don't believe he's smarter than me. That's what happens. Now, um, can I just offer my answers to these two questions that I gave you? I don't know why I'm asking, because I'm the only one with a microphone, so um, I'm just going to do it, okay? Let's go back to the first one again. Does God want the best for me? Here's what I believe about it. Absolutely, He wants the best for me. I believe that God wants the best for every single one of you sitting in this room today. And if you're sitting there going, well, James, how do you think that that's true? Here's how. Just look at Jesus. Just look at Jesus. You see, the Bible tells me, and it tells you, That the God who created us, he sent his one and only son into the world to die for your sins and mine so that we could know him, be forgiven by him, be loved by him, be accepted by him fully, fully. See, God sent Jesus into the world so that you and I wouldn't have to live a mediocre life while we're here on the earth and that we wouldn't have to die a hopeless, hell-bound death. You know what that tells me? That the God who created me is very interested in my life and that he wants the best for me. And anytime you ever doubt if God wants the best for you, again, I would say, remember Jesus. He is proof that God wants the best for us as his people. Um, is God smarter than me? I think so. And here's why, personally. Um, because he's God and I'm not. Right? Like he created everything, and I didn't help him with that. Um, he's been around forever. And I've been around for 31 years. Um, I think God's smarter than me because right now as I'm up here on the stage speaking, he's holding the universe together and I don't have anything to do with that. Like, and just think about this with me. If this is true, if God created everything and he did so with a specific design and order in mind, don't miss this, don't you think God knows how life should work a little better than you do? And so, man, I think absolutely God is 
smarter than this. But here's what I'll say to the skeptics in the room. Like if you're here, you're skeptical. I don't know. I don't know if I buy into all this stuff. Here's again what I want to tell you to do. Find out for yourself. Do not take my word for it. Get a Bible. You don't have one. Get one from us. Read about Jesus. Figure it out. Does God want the best for me? If you're skeptical about this question, is he smarter than me? Here's my challenge to you. Um, grab one of these Bibles. Um, do some of the stuff that it says to do. Maybe give it a couple of weeks, maybe a month. And just see if God's ways work any better than your ways. And again, I'm just trusting if you're skeptical here this morning that God will make clear to you over time, hopefully sooner than later, that he absolutely wants the best for you and that his ways are way better than your ways. Now, this leads me into the other point um, that I spoke about earlier. If we want to end up on that path that leads to what's best, hope, joy, satisfaction, purpose, meaning, um, we don't only need to trust God, but we also, Solomon says, we have to obey God. He says in this passage, don't trust or, or don't lean on your own understanding, trust in the Lord. And then he says, in all your ways, acknowledge him. He's pointing to obedience in everything you do in life and every decision you make. Strive to obey God. Acknowledge him in everything that you do. Now, while I was writing this message, I wrote a statement that I immediately disagreed with once I went back and reread it. You ever done that? You ever written something or said something or typed something and went, I think that that's wrong. Like I had one of those moments this past week. And uh, here's what I wrote in my notes as I was preparing. I wrote that it's impossible to obey God without fully trusting God. And I reread that and I went, I don't know if that's true or not. And let me try to explain, okay? While I believe that it's way easier and way more natural to obey God and to do what he says when you actually trust him, when you believe he wants what's best and you believe he's smarter than you, I don't think it's impossible to choose obedience to what he's asked us to do. Like, I think that we can still choose to do what God wants us to do even when trust doesn't feel natural or normal to us. And I think that that simple choice to obey can ultimately lead to God creating in us a deeper sense of trust in him. And let me give you some real life examples to illustrate this, okay? Maybe you're here this morning struggling in your marriage. Maybe you've been struggling for a long time. And uh, maybe the one thing that you haven't ever tried to do in marriage is to do it God's way. Like maybe you've done it your way for a long time and it's hard, and your marriage sucks the life out of you, and it's draining, and you don't know how to fix it, and man, it's tiring to even think about coming home in the afternoons. Listen, what if you chose obedience today? Even if you're here and you're going, man, I'm still kind of skeptical about this, don't fully know the answers about God being smarter, or wanting what's best, but what if you just said, the one thing we haven't tried is God's way. We haven't tried it, so why don't we just try that? Husband, what if you started today to just love your wife like Christ loves his church? Like what if you walked out of here today and said, I'm going to choose to sacrifice for her, to lead her, to love her well, even if she's not very lovable at the moment. Can I remind all of us? We weren't very lovable when God chose to love us. So why don't you just try that? Wife, man, what if you said, you know what, the one thing I haven't tried yet is honoring my husband respecting my husband. And again, listen, maybe there's not much that's honorable about him right now. I don't know. But what if you said, I'm just going to choose obedience to God's way. I'm going to honor my husband. I'm going to respect him. And my gosh, it's going to be hard. 
but I'm going to come under his authority as the leader in our home. What if you just chose that today? And what, what if, what if, stay with me, what if by choosing obedience saved your marriage? Like what if your marriage started thriving again and it became a great, a, a great source of hope and joy and contentment for you in life and not so much something that sucked the life out of you? Like what if you just chose that today? Don't you think that you would walk away with a deeper sense of trust in God than you had before? Um, what about this one? Uh, if you're a teenager in the room, if you're college age, single, what if you decided, and I know this is crazy, right, but just stay with me. What if you decided, um, I'm going to choose obedience and do things God's way in my life, so I'm going to stop having sex until I get married. Crazy, right? I know some of you in the room are going, who does that anymore? Like, that's insane. I mean, there's nobody that's waiting anymore. Well, God, what did he do? He designed marriage, and he says sex needs to live inside the bounds of marriage. So what if you just said, you know what, I want to honor God and I want to do things his way. I'm still trying to figure out the trust and, and all of that stuff, but I'm going to just do it his way. What if you discovered that by making that choice to just be obedient when it comes to your sexual purity, um, that it led you into a deeper relationship with God that you ever had? And what if one day when you got married, you could look back on today and remember today being that day that you chose to be obedient in that area of your life and you got to experience from now till that day you got married greater intimacy later on in life with your spouse because you chose purity now. Like, don't you think that one day you'd look back and you'd go, and I'm so glad I chose obedience, and it would lead to a deeper sense of trust in you when it comes to him? Um, what about this? And if you're a new person here, you're visiting, you can tune out for the next couple of minutes. Um, don't listen to what I'm about to say. I'm talking more to the people who come here regularly and who call Westridge home. This is family for you. Uh, what if you... The people in the room who've never trusted God with your money before, and like you've never started contributing to the vision and mission of this church, even though you're here every week, what if you chose today obedience in that area of your life, and you said, you know what, I want to be a part of all God's doing there, the trust thing, I'm still figuring it out, but I'm just going to do what he says, and I'm going to give a portion of my income back to the church, and what if you experienced as a result of that God providing for you in ways that you've never experienced before, while at the same time developing in you a heart for sacrifice and generosity that you never knew you had. Don't you again think that you would walk away with a deeper sense of trust in God than you ever had before? And lastly, I'll give you one more. Um, for those of us in the room who need to forgive somebody, somebody's hurt us, somebody's wronged us, and we think about that person and we just don't know that forgiveness is best, like forgiveness for us right now is, in our brain, a wall that keeps us from getting hurt any further like, what if you were just to choose obedience, even though trust may not feel natural in that area of your life? What if you said, you know what? God forgave me when I was unforgivable. And so I'm going to forgive that person. And what if you experienced as a result of that choice, God removing anger and bitterness from your heart that's existed there for so long and has torn you apart, and he replaced it with freedom and joy that you didn't know you could ever experience in life. Like, don't you think again that you'd have a deeper sense of trust in God than you ever have by choosing obedience. Don't miss this. I know it's easier to obey when you trust, when you believe he wants the best, and you believe he's smarter than you. But I also believe that you could take a step today and choose obedience even when trust doesn't feel normal or natural, resulting in God helping you to trust him even more in the long run. So as we close today, I just want to 
ask you two questions. One, what area of your life do you need to trust God in today? Like what area of your life, when you think about it, do you need to say to God, I believe you want what's best for me here, and I believe that you're smarter than me here. What area of your life today do you need to choose obedience in? What area of your life today do you just need to say, yes, God, I'm going to do it your way in? As we get ready to close, um, we're going to just pray and we're going to ask God to help us to do those things, to take those steps toward trust and obedience. So will you join me and let's pray together. God, we just thank you so much this morning for being a God who not only created us, God, but who loves us, who's interested in our lives. We thank you for being a God who wants to put our lives on a path that leads to what's best for us, that leads to purpose and meaning and joy and hope and satisfaction. And God, we know according to your word that the only way to get there is by trusting you and obeying you. And God, I assume that there are people in the room this morning who are having a hard time with one of those things, maybe both of those things. And I just pray right now, God, for those people, God, that you would help them to truly believe that you want what's best. God, that they could let go of trying to control every aspect of their lives and that they would be able to give the reins over to you and trust that you want what's best and trust that your way is best. I just pray for the people in this room, God, that have had a hard time choosing obedience. God, that have ended up on a path that leads to destruction, that leads to hardship, that leads to suffering. God, because they've chosen to do life their way instead of your way. God, I pray that today would be the day that those people in this room, God, assume they're here, say yes to you. God, and even when trust doesn't feel normal, and maybe it doesn't feel normal now, God, that they would still choose to say yes, and I pray that as a result, God, that you would help them to trust you all the more. Father, if there's anybody in the room who doesn't know you, never come into a relationship with you through your son Jesus, I pray you make that real to them today. God, that they might take that step before they leave. God, I just trust you with that. Father, we love you so much. We thank you, God, for first loving us. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Amen.